Chapter 1 of The Great Sinners of the Bible. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Great Sinners of the Bible by Louis Albert Banks. Eve's Dialogue with the Devil. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof. Then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Some people have quibbled over this story, and raised a laugh by calling it the snake story, and by many kindred allusions. But there is no reason for being troubled at the idea of God choosing to speak his message in an unusual way, or in his permitting the incarnation of the evil spirit in the form of a serpent. Nothing in the Bible is harder to believe than are the actual occurrences of our own times. If the destruction of the Spanish fleet at Manila, without the loss of a single life on the part of the Americans, or the destruction of Cervera's fleet of swift modern warships, with the loss of but one life on the part of their enemies, had happened four or five thousand years ago, and been recorded in the Old Testament, what derision the infidels would have flung at the story. I can imagine Ingersoll having a lecture on the mistakes of Dewey or Samson, fully as witty and scornful as his diatribe on the mistakes of Moses. It does not make the least difference to us whether this dialogue between Eve and the serpent is a literal historical occurrence, or whether it is a poetical portrayal of the drama by which sin became a dark and real fact in human life. Its message to us is exactly the same in either case. One thing is sure. The picture is true to life, and it is full of graphic illustrations, valuable to the men and women who are living now, and upon whom the devil is making attacks as subtle and deceitful as those by which he accomplished the overthrow of Eve. The devil makes his first pass at Eve by insinuating against God's goodness and generosity. What an ingratiating question it is! Can it be possible, says the serpent, in substance, with a sardonic smile, that your God has shut off part of the garden from you, and commanded that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Eve's fatal blunder was that she did not thrust his vile suggestion back into his very teeth and in the conversation then and there. 
If she had been as loyal to God as an old Scottish woman I have heard about, the story would have had a different ending. This old woman was in hard circumstances, and having no bread, she knelt on the floor of her little cabin, built close against the rocks of a mountainside, and prayed for some. A roguish boy of the neighborhood, chancing to pass that way, heard her voice and listened at the door. He hurried home and quickly returned with a loaf, ran up on the rocks and so upon the cabin roof, and tossed the bread down the smokeless chimney. It rolled from the empty fireplace to the chair beside which the old woman still knelt, earnestly praying. There was a moment's pause, and then she was loud in her thanksgiving to God for the speedy answer to her prayer. "'You need not be thanking the Lord for it,' the youngster shouted down the chimney. "'I brought it.' "'Aye, me laddie,' cried she from below. "'It was the Lord that sent it, even if the devil brought it.' But Eve was not thus loyal at heart. She begins not to state clearly the divine goodness, but to weakly apologize for the Lord, and ends her sentence by showing her own doubt, both of God's goodness and of the sincerity of his warnings. The fact is that Eve was all ready for the serpent when he came. She had herself been looking on the forbidden tree with rebellious longing, and had been so taken up with desire for the forbidden fruit that she had forgotten to be grateful for the beauty and fragrance and food that hung from every other bough of every other tree in the Garden of Eden. A great many people slander the devil by trying to throw on him the brunt of all their sins. But, St. James says, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. So the beginning, after all, of Eve's ruin was in her own ungrateful imagination, where she had permitted these rebellious thoughts to lie until they were like dry tinder waiting for the devil's match. Eve left out a most important and significant word in stating God's permission to eat of the trees of the garden, and thus detracted much from the generous character of the provision which God had made. But when she came to speak of the warning of the Lord against eating of the forbidden fruit, she put in words of her own to make the prohibition seem more hard and severe. From Eve's statement, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. One would think that God had utterly shut up the tree, guarding it with the most extreme jealousy and rigor, when the only prohibition was against eating of the fruit, which would bring sorrow and death. How often we hear people talking the same way now, as though God had given us appetites and desires which were never to be gratified, which are only to be resisted, and intimating that man's only chance for happiness lies in the violation of God's commandment, when the truth is that God has marvelously adapted us to the world in which we live, and in the wholesome and right gratification of our desires there is always peace and happiness. The prohibitions of God's law are only signal lights that tell where the dangerous rocks upon which our souls may be wrecked. But Eve also shows in her answer to the serpent that she is beginning to doubt the sincerity of the divine warning. The declaration of God had been, Thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof 
thou shalt surely die. But after Eve has begun her parley with the tempter, her version of this clear and simple statement is, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Lest ye die? This is what she substitutes for, In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Lest ye die. How different is that from the other statement? The first is sure death. The second is a bare possibility of something happening. Thus Eve was getting ready for the bold onslaught of her enemy, which was to ensure her destruction. She had lost her vantage ground by not flinging the lie in his face when first he began to slander her heavenly father. A few years ago, a young Englishwoman crossed the Atlantic to marry a young man in New York City to whom she had been betrothed in England, and who had come to this country two years before to engage in business. She was to marry him at the home of a friend of her mother's with whom she was staying. During the time she was making up her wedding outfit, he came to see her one evening when he was just drunk enough to be foolish. She was shocked and pained beyond measure. She afterward learned that he was in the habit of drinking to excess. She immediately stopped her preparations and told him she could not marry him. He protested that she would drive him to distraction, promising never to drink another drop. But her answer was, I dare not trust my future happiness to a drunkard. I came 3,000 miles, and I will return 3,000 miles. How much better it would have been had Eve only said to the advances of the tempter, No, I will not trust my future happiness to a slanderer of God. But instead, she parleyed with him, revealing to him the brooding thoughts of ingratitude and rebellion, which she cherished secretly, until we are not astonished at the bold, brazen declaration of the serpent in reply, Ye shall not surely die. And when Eve had so far yielded to the fascinations of sin that she could hear God's word declared false and still remain in conversation with the person who uttered the declaration, she was ready to take the fatal step from which there was no retraction. Notice Eve's conduct, then. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. How did Eve see that it was good for food? Was it some new discovery she had made? Or was it that she had come to look at it through the devil's spectacles? Isaiah says, Woe unto them that call evil good, and good evil. Association with such people always means deterioration. Eve had conversed with Satan until God's commandment seemed to her to be a lie, and the lies of the serpent seemed to be the truth. Hear the message, you who need it. Some of you remember when the simple word of God, as stated in your mother's Bible, was law and gospel to you. When God said, The wages of sin is death, you never doubted it for a moment. When God said, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. You had no doubt that it was heaven's truth, a merciful warning to keep your feet from a dangerous path. 
there was a time when the declaration of god's word that the house of the strange woman is the way to hell seemed certain fact there was a time when the declaration of the divine word which says be not deceived god is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap seemed as natural a truth as the growth of the wheat crop on your father's farm what has wrought all this change how is it that you are now so indifferent and reckless of these statements now is it because you have discovered them to be untrue ah you know that is not the case the devil pays the same wages now as in the days of eve the adder in the wine has not lost its sting the house of lust has not closed its back door into hell the fields of the soul have not lost their fertility to grow harvest according to the seed sown what has wrought the change is not the true answer this that you have parlayed with the old serpent that you have hardened your conscience that you have played fast and loose with your better nature until you're beginning to call evil good and good evil peace went out of the garden as sin entered it two vagabonds in fear born of their sins hid themselves from the presence of god the garden ceased to be a paradise when sin came to possess their hearts truly has some poet written if sin be in the heart the fairest sky is foul and sad the summer weather the eye no longer sees the lambs at play together the dull ear cannot hear the birds that sing so sweetly and all the joy of god's good earth is gone completely if sin be in the heart if peace be in the heart the wildest winter storm is full of solemn beauty the midnight lightning flash but shows the path of duty each living creature tells some new and joyous story the very trees and stones all cast a ray of glory if peace be in the heart but someone says the battle is past and i am defeated the sin is already in my heart and when i would do good the evil more than masters me and leaves me in sad bondage the same god who brought a message of hope to eve in the midst of her despair authorizes me to bring you a message of salvation if you will forsake your sins there is no way you can regain your lost innocence but by giving up your sins and accepting pardon through jesus christ a little child was one day playing with a very beautiful and precious vase when he put his hand in through the slender mouth and could not withdraw it he ran to his father for help but he too tried in vain to get it out they were talking of breaking the vase when the father said make one more effort open your hand and hold your fingers out straight and close together as you see me doing and then pull to the astonishment of the family the boy said oh no papa i couldn't put out my fingers like that for if i did i would drop my penny that was the secret of his trouble he had been holding on to his penny all the time some of you are like him you would like to be good you want to be a christian but there is some secret sin that you are cherishing and are not willing to let go 
you will never get out of the devil's clutches until you open wide your hand and let go all your sins. As you value your peace, your nobility of character, your immortal life, give up your sins, now and forever. End of chapter 1